Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Sarah here. All right. You're having a good morning. I am quite happy. I like to see the sun. A little blue sky makes me feel quite happy. Uh, and then I'm going to completely negate that because we've got guests who are angry. The authors of uh, Rage Baking. Very amusing. Very amusing. Uh, and later on the show... We'll be done being angry, and we'll talk to Yia Vang about his big plans for a fancy or fancier or a little bit fancy Hmong restaurant coming to Minnesota. Something I've been waiting for my whole life, it feels like. Uh, but I do, as ever, have a great, great desire to know what you are baking, what you are cooking. What are you up to? 651-989-9226. Anybody out there ever cook when they're angry? having a bad day, get yourself out of the place. I've done that myself. And so has Catherine Alford and Kathy Gunst. Okay, it's a hot new book, Rage Baking, The Transformative Power of Flour, Fury, and Women's Voices. So Kathy has written 15 cookbooks. Probably know her if you're out of this market. She's an NPR star. And she contributes to the Washington Post and Food and Wine Magazine and about a 1,000 other publications. Catherine Alford has run some of the most important kitchens in American food publishing, like the one at the New York Times and the ginormous situation of the Food Network kitchen. Two are coming to Minneapolis Tuesday night to Majors and Quinn at 7 o'clock. Tasty anger. It's on the table. Catherine and Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. All right, first the anger. I got to get through the the whole Catherine Kathy situation. Does that drive you both crazy? Are people always like tripping over your names, or is that just a? Uh, no, no, we're, we're, pretty, really, we're yeah. pretty clear. We're pretty clear. I never. This is Catherine. I never go by Kathy. Oh. And this is Kathy. I never go by Catherine. So we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're there. All right, so tell. Give me a little backstory. Rage Baking. Uh, this is Kathy. Um, in the fall of 2018, during the Kavanaugh hearings, which seems like a million years ago and a million news cycles ago, I was quite glued to the radio. Um, I listened rather obsessively, and I found my level of upset growing exponentially by the hour. And the first night of the hearings, I found myself in my kitchen baking, baking a lot, uh, a pie, a cake, and a batch of cookies. The next day I tuned in, my rage went slightly higher, and I baked again. And I started posting on social media, hashtag Rage Bakers, heard back from a lot of women who were like, me too. Um, some women said, I knit, I sew. Um, Anyway, um, my dear friend, Catherine Alford, who I've known for over a decade, we reached out to each other and we were commiserating and we thought maybe we should do a book and get a whole group of women together, women we really respect 
and combine recipes, essays, and interviews. All right. And so um, <laughs> I, I think it's sort of funny because uh, rage is, you know, usually considered a white hot topic in the culture, something you can't touch, particularly women's rage. Uh, Rebecca Traster has a marvelous, wonderful, terrific book about how women are not allowed to be angry. Um, and then you just you just tripped right over that and went for, went for it. Right. I mean, Rebecca's book, This is Catherine, was a huge inspiration to us. And yes, women are women have been mad for a really long time, for millennial. And we can use that rage for good. We shouldn't feel like it has to be tapped down or, you know, just be, uh, you know, just be quiet and sit in the corner. Um, I love, you know, when I was watching um, Little Women, you know, in Louisa May Alcott's book, she the mother says to Joe, you know, I'm angry every single day. This is sort of a constant, and we tend to think that anger is bad, but anger and passion is a great motivator, particularly for social change. And women have used their skills, their crafts, their baking, their, their, their passion for change as a way of connecting and building community, and that's a real part of what this book is about. Sure. There wasn't one uh, Revolutionary War general who wasn't angry, right? All of our founding fathers were were angry. They maybe weren't able to cook, though. So let's let's talk about this. So has has baking from a place of passion and rage, is that a new thing for you or is that like a lifelong thing? Uh, This is Kathy. I've written all these cookbooks and none of them have been devoted to baking. I certainly have dessert chapters in many of my books, but this was a first for me, and I, we, we both spent, oh, four months, we wrote this very quickly, baking, 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 and I learned so much about, clearly about baking, but also about patience and about so many of the lessons you learn in baking of going slowly, measuring things accurately, following the instructions, putting the cake in the oven, and then waiting the full hour before you look at it and test it. These are great life lessons. These are great lessons for activism, to try to open conversations, listen to people. So for me, it was a huge revelation how rewarding and joyous baking can be. So kind of a a zen in the art of... uh... You have to be patient. You have to be focused. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the actions, you know, of baking, of like pounding down dough or punching into um, a bread are very physical, which also gets you, um, you know, kind of channeling that rage. And and the metaphor absolutely of like you put things together, you, you trust and you put it out there and hopefully then you get a positive result. And that's what we're doing. And this is Kathy. The other part of baking is how community minded it is. When you make a sandwich, it's for one or two. But when you bake a cake or bake a pie, you're cutting it into many pieces and you're sharing it. And that's part of this book also. The reason we invited over 40 women, musicians, writers, cookbook authors, bakers, uh, Hollywood producers to all have a voice in this book is that we wanted to create community and baking seems like such a great way to do it. There's very few ways that are better 
to open a conversation than sitting around a table with a beautiful, freshly made baked good. Well, I certainly agree with that. And then there's a part of baking, which is, you know, you're nurturing yourself, your community, yourself, your people. Yep, absolutely. And baking, I mean, like when we think about cakes, cakes are always, you know, a, a benchmark of a celebration, whether it's a birthday, a graduation, a wedding. And it's really important they bring us together and also, you know, these symbols in our culture. So, for example, when the right to a wedding cake goes all the way up to the Supreme Court, it's more than butter, flour, and sugar. All right. But then I'll push you a little on this one. So I grew up in a world where there were bumper stickers that said things like, won't it be a great day when our children's schools have all the money they need and the Pentagon has to hold a bake sale, right? Um, isn't isn't baking and having a bake sale kind of pushing people back into a, a barefoot in the kitchen place? This is Kathy. That is such a good question because that is a really important point. Our message with Rage Baking is not, hey, ladies, get back in the kitchen, start baking for the PTO or the soccer team, and you'll feel all better. Hell no, that's not what we're talking about here. Um, We are actually trying to redefine the notion of what a bake sale is, that it's not, um, you know, a bunch of women who are supposed to fit this into their busy schedule. You're supposed to, I mean, we want people to bake from passion. We want people to get out and vote. We want people to support a candidate and a cause they believe in. And if they bake and try to raise funds towards that cause, that's excellent. But it's not the throwback message of like, ladies, preheat your oven and all your anxiety <laughs> will melt away. No way. No way. And one of the things that w- was important about this book is that it is using baking and women's skills as a tool for activism and bringing people together. So when we were working on this book, we were so impressed. We were seeing all over the country, you know, bakers using their baked goods for for political messages, whether it was about immigration or women's rights or just getting out to vote or whatever side of the political spectrum that you may be in, you know, the top of a cake is a great palette for your message. And also this is, you know, this book is about the writing as well. And there's some really, really wonderful essays in them. And some of them are are very funny. There's a fantastic one from um, Tess Rafferty a um, Hollywood writer, and it, it, its title is so awesome. It says, the revolution will be catered. And when you <laughs> read that, you're like, you know, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it's also white-hot rage. And women are mad. They're, we're mad. And we have every right to be right now. And is tell me about Instagram and the role of all this. It seems like you have, you know, we've all been living through this time where, uh, Russian trolls and weirdos have been kind of funneled into Facebook to manipulate things there. But Instagram, though owned by Facebook, seems to have a, a different a different vibe. It's a different mode of sharing. People can't um, share posts very easily, so it's less viral and it's more – it tends to be more supportive. You'll see, you know, much stronger – Uh, Instagram communities when it comes to knitting, it comes to baking, it comes to visually appealing uh, girly things, right? Tell me about Instagram. Absolutely. That, you know, this, I I absolutely saw this um, while I was at Food Network is that, you know, one of the most 
um, common things that people post on Instagram is baked goods and and the, and the food that they're putting in them. And then they become, once again, this visual message as well that is both delicious and inspiring. So, yeah, Instagram plays has played a huge part in kind of a, a baking revolution where people are putting, you know, whether it's unicorn cakes or all of that, you know, very visual and very colorful um, on their Instagram and, and posting it kind of like a little trophy. The recipes yeah. in this book are, are very accessible. It's not about, um, you know, high-end decorating, but there certainly are. They're gorgeous um, when you take a picture of them. All right, we got to take a little break here. We're going to come back and do another segment with Catherine Alford and Kathy Gunst of Rage Baking. If you want to kind of talk, look at what we're talking about while we take the commercial break here at RageBakers.com, and we'll be back here in a moment on Off the Menu. Dara here. All right, we're talking about rage and sugar. Unusual combo, but I'm loving it. Rage Baking, transformative power of flour, fury, and women's voices by two... Longtime Food World stars Catherine Alford and Kathy Gunst. Uh, they were inspired by the wrongs done to Christine Blasey Ford and decided to kind of make some space, some bring this to the few, you know, bring this to the top of the conversation, make some space for women to talk to each other, or other baking enthusiasts to talk to each other. Um, okay, so you guys tell me about the community that has come together around Rage Bakers. This is Kathy. Um, well, within the book, we speak with many women that you've heard of and some you may not have. Um, veteran bakers and cookbook authors like Dory Greenspan, Carla Hall, Ruth Reichel. Um, and then we interview Ani DeFranco, the musician and beloved star who started her own label called Righteous Babes. We talk with Marty Noxon, who is a Hollywood producer and wrote the HBO series Sharp Objects and others. So it's a real collection of bakers, writers, women who, it's interesting, we sent out for the writers, we sent out the prompt. When you hear the word rage and the phrase rage baking, what does it bring up for you? And each one of these women wrote back, and their essays are so incredibly unique and different. Um, I was worried we were going to get the same response from everybody, but not at all. We got a text in the text line, my mom always made bread during storms, even in the middle of the night. If it was thundering, she would be slamming dough on the counter, just kneading, huh. kneading, kneading. So that is Absolutely, great. absolutely. We, I mean, at, this book came out. Just last week, and I cannot tell you how many people have reached out to us and said, oh, my God, I do this all the time. My mother did it. Um, or they, or people are getting together with their families and friends and rage baking together. My sister told me about a friend of hers who bought the book and is now rage baking with her 92-year-old mother. And is bringing people so together. It's just so great. And, you know, it's, it's fun and it's purposeful. There are two stories that, that stick out in my mind from women we've heard from in the last two days. One was a woman who said, also during the Kavanaugh hearing, she was so upset that she went out and collected acorns and smashed them with her hands and then made these 
acorn cookies that her grandmother's recipe and I the image of her cr- crunching acorn shells with her raw hands seemed really dramatic and amazing and then we heard from a young woman who is doing her uh, PhD in women in the kitchen and women's studies and she made a sheet cake and reproduced the cover of our book on the cake, which is this wonderful woman's hand pounding into a big ball of dough with flour flying everywhere. <laughs> um, I, I, I've been looking at your Instagram, and it's just so <laughs> – it's such a funny thing because it's like I'm so used to kind of uh, the the anger of women who are uh, on Twitter, and then I'm so used to the kind of bragging I'm a domestic goddess on Instagram, and to see it come together right. in one thing is just very. Uh, I kind of like it. It's like, oh well, maybe we're gonna take the political anger of uh, Twitter and slowly uh, <laughs> make it socially acceptable to to say that in larger spaces. I remember in the in the 2016 campaign, you know, so many Hillary supporters ended up in these yep. secret Facebook groups because. Um, you just get yelled at otherwise. Yeah. Well, like yeah. she, like Hillary got yelled at. I mean, everybody called her shrill. Well, take a look at the government today. If they're shrill, I don't think it's about Hillary Clinton. You know, I, I mean, we're still a nation that seems to be uncomfortable with women expressing themselves in ways that mimic what's traditionally been considered male behavior. Women get angry. Women have opinions. Women want to speak out. But somehow it's never quite okay. So that's part of where this comes from. But you brought up the Instagram. I mean, bottom line, this book and a lot of the photos on hashtag Rage Bakers are of beautiful, gorgeous food. Um, the, the photographer, Jarell Guy, took some stunning photography in this book. Yeah, and that's been a way that, you know, women are allowed to be to brag, to excel, to, you know, it's like you can yep. you can you can do all those things. And so but the, it's always sort of seen as this apolitical, you know, personal expression, domestic goddess space. Yeah, which is a pretty um insulting term in many ways depending on who's using it and how it's being used. We've heard from a lot of men also who say I do this all the time. Let me in, you know, and of course, <laughs> this is this is a book for men and women. It's for okay, so what are, you know, what are your number one? What is, what's the best thing to <laughs> Is it bread cuz you're physically in there wrestling with it? Is it chocolate cake because it's got chocolate? Is it um, all of it? <laughs> <laughs> is it I was going to say this is like which it's like choosing your favorite child. But I mean, there's some recipes like yesterday for Valentine's Day, I made Don't Call Me Honey Cakes, um, <laughs> and they, the titles in the book are very, there's some that are very fun, um, and it was delicious. I mean, and you make this wonderful, light um, honey cupcake with this delicious cream cheese frosting, and it's then so good. A, it's a fantastic recipe that you can finish this with, with like a caramel honeycomb candy on top that's so easy to make. But boy, when you add that, caramelize the sugar, and then you add in the baking soda, and you have this incredible chemical reaction that just surges up. And you're like, yeah, that's sometimes the way I feel. You know? and, then, <laughs> and then you put it all together, and it's like, yeah, and this makes me feel great, too. So there's a lot of different levels going on in this book. Some of the favorite recipes I have is 
uh, a cheddar apple um, slab pie. The pies are delicious. We have incredibly delicious pie of buttermilk pie with a salted caramel crust from salted Jim pretzel Humphrey. crust. Salt, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm in my caramel mode. Um, <laughs> salted crust. We have there's savory recipes. There's a focaccia. There's a fabulous um, recipe from Pretty Mystery, which is an Indian um, flatbread made called Thepla, which I think everyone is going to want to add to their repertoire. Oh, it's so good with it mango chutney. So yeah. Oh, oh and let's not so forget, good. since it is it is winter, there is a beautiful light perfect lemon bundt cake um, from a food writer named El Simone who works at America's Test Kitchen in Boston using winter Meyer lemons or winter lemons. This is one of the best cakes you could possibly make this time of year. Uh, I love that you're bringing this into the present day. There was a, I know that when women were fighting for the vote, there was a, a whole universe of suffragette, you know, cookbooks and um, suffragettes getting together for tea and home-baked things. And, um, you know, there hasn't been much talking about that in the present day. And I'm so happy that you guys are, are bringing all this. All right. If people want to join in, they're going to be at Majors and Quinn on Tuesday night at 7. You guys are just starting your tour. I was looking. Your... We are. And we're so excited to come to Minneapolis. And Absolutely. We... We packed our warmest coats, and we'll be there soon. We hope to meet some of your listeners and start a conversation and talk about rage and rage baking and what it means to them. It's been a it's been an important part of life for generations. I'm glad you guys are bringing it into the present. The book is Rage Baking, The Transformative Power of Flour, Fury, and Women's Voices. I love that you guys are rage, le- risking your voices, lifting your voices in all of this. And you can find these guys in the book and everything at ragebakers.com. Catherine Alford and Kathy Guns, thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. you it's it's been, been a great. pleasure. Oh, it's so fun. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk to Mr. Yi Vang. He's got his Hmong uh, Vinai restaurant. He's kickstarting that. And we'll have that when we come back. All right, I have with me today Yia Vang. He's been on the show before. You you know Yia. He's worked at some of the Twin Cities' best kitchens in Nighthawks, Borough, Spoon and Stable. But he's mainly famous for his Union Kitchen, which is a kind of Hmong cooking project. Um, he We made him Chef of the Year at Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine for 2019 because he's just uh, just bringing forward so much fascinating food, so much food with integrity. Just this uh, Hmong food is is really not, in my mind, anywhere near enough, kind of in the forefront of, of what we talk about, what we can experience all the time. We have such a vibrant Hmong community here. Uh, but usually, you know, you got to go to the Hmong market and eat through the stalls, which is delicious. But it's also very nice to sit down in a chair and have people, have a server come to you. So Yivang has taken this in hand. He's been trying to kickstart his way to his new restaurant, uh, Bon Vinai, and Yia is here to talk us through all the things. Yia, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. All right, so I should tell everybody at home, you smell fantastic. You smell like a bonfire because <laughs> you had to go uh, before you did this and, and do things with fire for the yeah. kitchen you run at Sociable Cider Works. Yeah, so we run this uh, trailer at Sociable Cider Works, um, Union Monk Kitchen, where it's there, and... Uh, this morning I had to go start the smoker, and so uh, I I'm so used to the smell, so I'm like whatever. 
but like especially like you know like this morning i stopped at a gas station at a holiday on the way in and uh, i was like oh dang yeah like now i smell like barbecue there's so. nothing better. There's yeah. nothing better than the smell of wood smoke. All yeah. right. So t- so tell me how things have been going. You're in a big uh, expansion and uh, venture capital part of your world. Uh, why, 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 in your mind, does the world need um, a new Hmong restaurant? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I guess, like, to answer that question, I, you know, I don't think that, you know, I don't think that they need a new Hmong restaurant. I uh, well, yeah, I do. Well, right, we'll yeah, do, we'll do. We'll do Lincoln Douglas debate style. Yeah. I believe we need a new Hmong restaurant because uh, I have never been to uh, a new Hmong restaurant. Yeah, that's sort of there in the contemporary are style. plenty rest, uh, plenty Hmong owned restaurants, on you know, in like uh, Frogtown area, um, University. There's plenty of Hmong uh, owned restaurants, especially in Hmong Village, Como, um, uh, Hmong, uh, Hmong Town, and Hmong Village out there. Uh, plenty. Um, what what we're really trying to do is what we're trying to do with our restaurant Vinai is we want to tell the story of our parents. So for me, I want to tell the story of my mom and dad. I want to tell, I want to be able to show their legacy um, and everything that they have done um, from my dad fought fighting in a war, my, uh, my mom sacrificing a lot for them, getting us through the refugee camp to get us here. Uh, Yeah. So if anybody doesn't know uh, the reason that so many amazing Hmong refugees are here in Minnesota is because so many Hmong people put their life on the line to help uh, America during the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's talk about that story. So you, when you're talking about putting their story, you're talking about putting it on the plates, but let's talk about the, the, the verbal component. What what was your parents' story? Yeah. So uh, my dad, I think it was 12 or 13. He joined basically as the militia. Um, and so the CIA, with the help of uh, armies, uh, the government and special forces, the U.S. government and special forces came in and trained these paramilitary troops um, to run uh, missions and to run um, to rescue down pilots in Laos. And so my my father and his brothers and you know basically all the their kids at this time they joined up. And so they were trained, they were armed, they were taught how to. Uh, you know how to run these missions, how to you know how to fight and everything. Because no one could get into the jungles, and the jungles did not have roads. Yeah, yeah, and the Hmong people were, were considered uh, mountain people or hill people, so we, uh, so our people knew the terrain, and so the U.S. came and uh, trained and armed them, and that's what they did. And there was kind of this uh, deal made uh, where it was. If you help us, no matter what happens, win or lose, uh, you you can come to America. You, you know this is your this is kind of your freedom. Uh, fight for America. And yeah, so, and so the Hmong people had were kind of rocking a hard place. It was either you know fall to communist China mm-hmm. or uh, help yeah. the Americans. Yeah. So uh, so, and that started this great war. Uh, and you know you, anybody can find it. Go online and Google secret war because it was a secret war and nobody really knew that there were. These arms of the mil- of the U.S. military, you know, that were uh, doing different things, and so yeah, not a lot of people knew that. And um, I grew up with it, so you know, so hearing about it to me, I just thought everybody knew. And especially when you go into high school and you're doing uh, like the Vietnam War in high school, and like, you know, when they're done with that section, you're like, wait, what? 
You know, like there's a whole section here that we haven't talked about. Yeah, so not I a lot of people know anything know. about it until I had been uh, living in Minnesota for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So I didn't learn about the Hmong role in the Vietnam War growing up mm-hmm. in New York City. Uh, and I didn't, you know, I had to actually kind of go out on my own and read some books and find out yeah. about uh, find out about the connection. Um, and so your parents, you know, and so obviously, fast forward, uh, United States withdraws. Um, the Vietnamese go into the hills and try to exact retribution mm-hmm. and execute however many Hmong. Yeah, so the very distinct thing is, uh, you know, it was the Northern Communist Party. Uh, so it was, um, you know, so they were the ones that came in. So a lot of people got caught in it. Like, you know, like uh, there were, you know, um, like there were Laotian, Vietnamese, Thai that were like, we don't want, you know, some of them were like, we don't want to be a part of this. Uh, so when when that came through, there were refugee camps that were set up in Thailand. And All right, so people had to literally walk out of yeah, the hills yeah, of, yeah. Um, you know, of Laos, and yeah, and then uh, kind of trek through the jungles, hide and trek through the jungle for months, and, and then, swim across a river. Yep, swim and, across the Mekong River, and then and then if if you made it through all that, then you get you know you can come to the refugee camp and. The refugee camp uh, that uh, my parents ended up in in, sem- in 78, uh, 77, they got married in 78, was Ban Vinai. And literally, Vinai translates to the, uh, virtue. So Ban means uh, um, town or village. So, uh, you know, uh, village of virtue is the uh, little transition. And I was born there in 88. And uh, no, sorry, I was born in 84 and we left in 88. And we landed in St. Paul when we came here. Wow. And so that... That's the literal story. And then you found your way into, you know, some of the top kitchens in the Twin Cities. Um, and then you – and now you want to kind of move to the next level. Yeah. So for the last, like, three years, we've been doing pop-ups. And, you know, for the last year, we've been in, at the residency at Sociable Site Works. So what I really wanted to do was, you know, what's the next step? And it was a brick and mortar. And so, you know, this has actually been – I've told people this has been in the plans for the last – year and a half almost two years so you know just kind of um turning down different uh, you know, projects and everything and so we get to this culmination where we are now and you know we have a kickstarter that we started probably uh, like 10 12 days ago and so we're l- over halfway there uh, we're raising seventy five thousand. so we're uh, at like 43 or something like that right now um so yeah so people can uh join in on that and that was that was such a fun time to be able to do our launch party for our Kickstarter and uh, just to see 400 people show up. All right. So if you want to kick the tires on this whole situation and try Yi Yavang's food, he is he will be at Sociable Cider Works in Northeast tonight. The truck will be there. Uh, the food is really great. I stopped in a couple weeks ago. And oh, had, awesome. Uh, I didn't lovely. know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you can't be there 18 hours a day. But uh, I, it, it's really terrific. So you can be you can go to Sociable Cider Works, try it out. If you want to see it online, you can go – Kind of the easiest thing is unionkitchenmn.com. That there's a link there. It'll take you to the Kickstarter page. And I love the way you're doing the Kickstarter. A lot of people, uh, I feel like Travail kind of helped us figure out how to do this. So you've got, yeah. you know, you can get a invite for two to a soft opening, or yep. you can get a couple different kind of hot sauces, mm. and you're kind of a, a hot sauce master. Like it's a very smart. <laughs> it's my mom's not. Yeah, like I do a couple things, but she's. She's like the celebrity now. Everyone talks about her hot sauce. Like, is that Mama Fangs? I'm like, yeah. So, 
People love her more than they love me. I told my mom that. She's like, stop that. And I'm like, no, they love you more than they love me. Well, you're, you're, yeah. you're the publicity side of things. <laughs> Nobody's going to know about it without her. All right, we're going to take a little break here. We are going to come back and talk some more with Yia Vang uh, of the Union Kitchen and this new Kickstarter he's doing for his restaurant, Bon Vinai. If you've got any questions about Hmong food, uh, 651-989-9226. Dara here. All right. I am back with Yia Vang from Mung Kitchen, from Union Mung Kitchen. You can find find links to all the things he's up to, unionkitchenmn.com. All right, Yia. So tell for people that don't know, um, what are the building blocks of Mung food? Yeah. So, you know, we've been asked a lot of times, you know, what is Hmong food? And uh, I, what I tell people is Hmong food isn't a type of food. It's a philosophy of food. It's a way of talking about food. It's a way of thinking about food. Uh, you get a, you get a group of people like ours who we don't have a country of our own. We don't have you know a, a land of our own or a flag or an anthem of our own. But one the one thing that we got to carry with us um, over the generation is our food and being. And I tell people our food tells the story of our people. Um, our cultural DNA is intricately woven into the foods that we eat. So we. The way that we cook our food, it tells the story of where we are and where we've been, and then it'll keep telling the story of where we're going. And so, yeah, because a lot of uh, Hmong language wasn't written down. It's not like people were yep. carrying a big copy of Escoffier mm-hmm. through the, uh, yeah. you know, through the jungles. So it wasn't until like the late '40s where some of the first missionaries actually create, quote unquote, created a written language because the Hmong language before that was just an oral language. So everything was told, like it was, you know, it was told through stories. So our people are driven from stories and telling stories. My father's a great storyteller, and when we were kids, that's what he would do. He would make up these grand stories and tell these stories, um, these folkloids, um, you know, in our language called Danning, which, you know, literally translates to folkloids. Um, so with that, uh, what I what I tell people about Hmong food is if you look at all the Hmong people spread out in the U.S., in the world, and you look at what they're doing, they're cooking um, food that's um, that's from the area, from the region, uh, and and so here being in the north, a lot of the Hmong food we make is reflective of what the land provides for us. So um, yeah, so th- that's kind of what we the way we think about Hmong food. There's there's some basic building blocks. A lot of it has Southeast Asian like profile flavors. So but, lime and chili, mm-hmm. uh, cilantro. But then mm-hmm. I always think of Hmong food as Having a kind of a, a to the land um, hunting, and yep. you know the, the, that's kind of a pillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously, pork is a big thing for us. Uh, you know, pork and 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 these kind of farm raised braised chicken. You know, chicken that we use a lot for braising. Um, you know, it's a, there's also a simplicity to Hmong food too, where it's a lot of soups, stews, and you know different kinds of noodles. Uh, but then on the other end, a lot of the food that we do. Um, at Union Mung Kitchen, or or we will be doing at Vinai, will be based around wood fire. So we we do. A, I learned a lot about cooking protein over the fire from my father. So that's why, like, like I don't know. I jokingly always say, eight days out of the week, I always smell like you know wood fire. Um, <laughs> so tell me about that. So the trailer, if people are familiar with it, you yeah. do some fairly you know stuff that you would want to have in a bar. It's maybe purple rice with some. Yep. Stuff on it mm-hmm. is that what will be at Bon Vinay? Some um, some aspect of it will be there, um, but what we but the aspect that we can't really showcase because it's it's a brewery, you know, and 
uh, is the hospitality end. So um, we, we're, we're setting up the menu so that you can like order, like or you can build your meal, your dinner any way you want. You know, it, everything doesn't come set on a plate for you. You kind of pick and choose. You know, uh, so monk food. A so monk, like a platter for sharing. Is that what we're talking definitely, about? Definitely, definitely. There's going to be that element. So we always, my 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 father always said to me, um, when we were kids and we get in fights, my dad would always say, uh, the moment you say this is mine, you actually have less. But when you say this is ours, you have more. And so we really want to play off of that philosophy of just that ethos. So for example, if you, you come in, you're going to see in the menu, you're going to see a section where it's just proteins that feed two to four people and these and then the, the quote-unquote smaller plates will be our vegetable sides then we'll have rice you know you have your regular rice you have your sticky rice and then we'll have different kinds of hot sauce you can pick from and that really showcases Hmong food you go to a Hmong household you have four elements on the table for dinner you'll have your protein you'll have your rice you'll have your vegetable or sometimes a soup or a broth and then you'll have your hot sauce and we want to showcase all of that so then when you're eating you can it, it brings you to that feel of you know, being a part of my mom and dad's kitchen. Oh, I love that. There's a lot of Minnesotans who have a, you know, a, a, an ingrained fear of hot sauce. So it's mm-hmm. a good, it's good to know it's on the side. I think that's what, the more things I've learned about Hmong food. There's a, a wonderful tradition of these kind of healing soups, like these mm-hmm. soups that are just um, kind of blood building. You know, there mm-hmm. there are lots of herbs and chicken, and but not spicy at all. Like no, definitely not. Uh, and the point of having the soup or the stews be a very mild taste is so that it balances out with the hot sauce and use it. So so my mom always says Hmong food is all about balance. You know, you don't want it, you know, you don't want it too spicy on one end. You don't want it too like bland, but you want to have balance. And so you you really see that in the characteristics of our people that there's a sense of balance, you know, like you want you want that harmonious uh you know, great taste, everything working together. I love that. It's uh, I've been trying to to think about you know kind of how to put this right, but I mean, it's just so wonderful that it, that we would have you know kind of a leading Hmong restaurant from a chef who comes from you know such great places, borough and stuff. You know, and that because that restaurant culture, elevated restaurant culture, is its own thing. Like you can't just do it if you don't know how to do it. And I love that we would have a Hmong restaurant with that kind of elevated culture um you know with watermelon radishes that's why i think of as the as the, as the harbinger the yeah. the sign of a minnesota fancy yeah. kitchen is the watermelon radish which is yeah. kind of a humble thing but you see it all yeah. you know, that's that's how you know you're in a fancy kitchen is that people love watermelon radishes those are the ones that look like little rainbows and you cut through yeah. them sort of have you ever seen the purple ones that or they're called the ninja radishes no so yeah they're purple so we always you know we always like to get super fancy you get the purple ninja radishes. yeah i love that and yeah. i love that it would be here i mean because st paul particularly has become uh, kind of a center of worldwide Hmong culture. Uh, for people that don't know, uh, July 4th, J4, has mm-hmm. become just, I mean, people fly in from France. They yeah. fly in from Australia. Yep. It's, uh, and, and it's then, the epicenter of uh, Hmong culture. And a buddy of mine, Phil, we were talking and we said, we're saying it, it seems like to us um, the Twin Cities is the equivalent of, you know, like New York City, where, you know, like New York City is that mentality. If you make it here, you can make it anywhere, right? Well, Hmong culture, you know, or, or just this huge epicenter of Hmong culture is here in the Twin Cities. And, you know, people will fly in and they'll come in and check out all these different places. And, you know, I love that. If you can make it in St. Paul, you can make it in <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> yes. That's all, that's, that was my dream. Like, make it, make it here in St. Paul. 
All right. So if anybody wants to get in on this, making St. Paul the center of the world, unionkitchenmn.com. Yuvang, I am such a such a fan of all your work over the years. And you can go check him out just till 8 o'clock tonight at Sociable Cider Works. It was quite delightful. You just kind of... Um, if people don't know, they do table service or roughly, you know, so yeah. you it's you not. You get a buzzer. Yeah. yeah, you don't have to go stand out by the trailer. Mm-hmm. You get to just order and pay with a credit card at the counter, and mm-hmm. then they'll bring the food over to you. You got anything yeah. special tonight? Uh, everything's special. <laughs> Come on. Uh, no, you know, what we've been kind of really known for is our Hill Tribe fried chicken. So uh, it's we didn't intend this to be, but uh, it's gluten-free. Gluten-free fried chicken. Yeah, so people, we have a lot of gluten-free people there dorking out about it. And we kind of told them, yeah, that was not the intention (laughs) to be gluten-free. It was just, you know, those were the flowers that we had on the trailer when we were making it. And we were testing it out. And we're like, oh, that works. You know, like it's rice flour and cornstarch and, you know, tapioca starch. And we're like. Oh yeah, this is all gluten free. So that that one, that one, uh, you get you know the fried chicken, and then you get the um, Ma- Mama Vang's hot sauce on it, and so it's a uh, you know it's a kind of a play on our childhood growing up eating sticky rice with uh, Popeyes and KFC and hot sauce. So, oh, yeah. that was your childhood. Well, yeah. I didn't know about that. Yeah. That's adorable. Um, Yep. So this has been talking to Yu Vang. <laughs> oh, Yu Vang, I just wish you all the luck with this. I think your Kickstarter is going to make it. And thank, thank you for you. coming in today. Um, all right. So we got a couple minutes here. I got in the text line. Uh, got a question about, um, you know, Rage Bakers. They are. They're going to be. You can find them all at RageBakers.com. They're going to be there Tuesday night at Majors and Quinn. Um, I got a question about suffragette cookbooks. How can you find those? I think that you might have to go to the library. I'm not sure that there are suffragette cook those. Uh, I think there are pamphlets mainly, and so I'm not sure that those are um, out and about. Um, I've got a question about the. <laughs> how can you How can you ask me a question for the dear Daras that are running at MSPMag.com? Um, you can really send them to me on any platform. Just go post on to Facebook.com. You don't have to fill out the form. We do put a form at the bottom of the Dear Daras when we put those up, but you do not need to use that official form. And then I got a question from somebody who wants to know what is purple rice, and Ye is still here. Yeah, why why is that rice purple and or red? Yeah, so it's uh, we use two kinds of rice. Uh, you have our sweet rice, which is white. And then you have uh, your black rice, and then we soak them together. And then, for, personally, so is the black rice black? Yeah, it so is. We we kind of try to get you know we you know because in in the cooking world you always can upcharge everything by its name, so we call it forbidden black rice. <laughs> it's like yes, we can charge an extra five dollars. <laughs> no, so it, it's it's black. It's it's a little pricier than you know your regular uh, you know sweet rice. So we soak them together. And uh, that so the color kind of leaches off of that, and it makes it purple. But then it's almost kind of like a wild rice, you know. So I love it texturally because it has a little bite to it extra. Um, my mom and dad doesn't really like that. My mom doesn't, but you know, your mom doesn't. No, she likes it just all one texture, like just soft, you know, like like with with sticky rice. But I, I like keeping it in there. So a lot of times they'll soak it, you know, or, or they'll get it that color from it, but not put the rice in. All right, we've got to get Bon Vinay open so we can have tell the story of how you diverge from your mother's rice recipe. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, next week we got one-pot meals. They never get old. Someone's always discovering the newness of a one-pot meal. What's in them this year? We're going to find out next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.